sending the script, I, in my mind, is kind of a formality. But as soon as I uh, heard about it, it was, it was like, um, yeah, of course. I, I, just because I had seen his films also, but just by reputation, I had a friend who had worked with him on something, and he's like, if you ever get a chance, you know, uh, Jeff Nichols' guy is really great. And so, uh, and he's someone I trust, so I'm like, okay. Um, so yeah, it was kind of a no-brainer. I had no idea what it, what it was. I was just preparing to say yes, no matter what it was. And so it really could have been a story about like El, El Pollo Loco or something. Um, uh, and I w totally would have been there. It's not a bomb podcast, the podcast that talks about movies that bombed theatrically or maybe the critics didn't like. We're back for our second episode of 2024. Brad, how's the year going so far? It is going very well. I have a early year birthday, so thank you for all of our listeners who reached out and said uh, happy birthday to me, Troy. Thank you very much, sir. No, of course. Any day we get to celebrate Brad is a good day, in my opinion. <laughs> Thank you. You put me through hell last year, so that's all that you you owe me with breaking Brad. So. <laughs> I did. You get you one know, day. Yeah. That makes up for the 12 months of watching Oof. crappy films. Yeah. Uh, but we're not watching a crappy film tonight. We're, or we're talking, are we? Oh, good point. Did I, yeah. did I just telegraph yeah. early? Yeah, okay. You know, whatever. Okay, we may or may not be talking about a crappy film tonight. This was your pick. We we had this whole schedule. We kind of threw it out the door, and then all of a sudden started to come with these choices. And you said, well, if, if you're throwing yours out the door and doing sci-fi, you were doing the same thing. What did you choose? Yeah, I picked 19 or 19, 2016 sci-fi film, Midnight Special. Awesome. So this is not a first-time watch for either of us, right? It is not for me. Okay, me neither. Um, I'm, I'm curious, like you, you've talked about science fiction. Science fiction is probably, is it your favorite genre? I think so. Like sci-fi and horror go one A and one B. Okay. So what's interesting, you brought up horror too, and especially science fiction, each one of those have a sub genre breakdown. Mm -hmm. So science fiction, I was, I was trying to find the best way to categorize everything and then come up with some examples and this is really tough because when you talk about science fiction films or horror films, I think the cool thing about that genre is they, they're really good at blending different subgenres, right? Mm -hmm. so yep. Horror comedy, you can get horror in space, um, it, just everything, right? Yeah. Um, with science fiction, I was you know, going through the internet and trying <laughs> to find something that's like, what's the, what's the best way to break down these subgenres? I, I think I found a pretty good list. And I'm I'm gonna go through this, and then I'm really curious what your favorite subgenre is. Okay. Ooh, okay. All right. So I'm gonna start with this one. It space travel. So it's it's more science oriented, and it's about exploration. This one, I it it's gonna have a bunch of different subgenres, right? But the emphasis is on the exploration part. Uh, man, kind of throwing themselves out in into the unknown. Yeah. And I think if you throw in like a little bit of like a relationship in there, you get like your space opera maybe. Yeah. Um, the, the examples that 
I think came to mind was Moon. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah. Prospect would be one because it's about these people mm-hmm. going out into the far reaches of the universe. Mission to Mars, Brian De Palma's film, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point. Yeah. Uh, which is sort of a copy of probably the one of the biggest ones, space travel movies, uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey. And uh, A Trip to the Moon, right? The old black and white. Yeah, black and white, film? yep. Okay. Yep. So another one is uh, time travel. I think this one's self-explanatory. Self-explanatory, yep. Yep, concept of time travel backwards, forwards. You get um, some great examples like Back to the Future, Primer, and Looper. Cerebral science or mind and identity. That's, an, that's another subgenre. Uh, this is, this one's, I don't know kind of all inclusive, but the way that this article described it, it was traversing the elements of the human mind and questioning reality, parallel universes, stuff like that. Okay. Yep. We've talked about one of these films that it even mentioned brainstorm the Christopher Walken film. Oh yes. Yeah. Matrix would fall into that blade runner, uh, total recall, which are both, you know, based on Philip K Dick source material. Might be my favorite sub genre. If okay. you will. These two are interesting. A Clockwork Orange and Inception uh, mm. fall into those categories. Okay, I would not have thought about Inception, but when you say it, it's like, yes, that's an obvious uh, obvious one there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Another subgenre, robot and monster films. So this one's kind of easy. Yeah. Godzilla, Transformers, Jurassic Park, Alien, and Terminator would be in this one. But Terminator is interesting because it's, it's robots and time travel, right? Correct. Okay. And then the last one, the last category I could find would be disaster and alien invasion. So some classics like the war of the worlds, Mars attacks, uh, arrival. So Mm. yeah, these, what about like a pop apocalyptic or like post apocalyptic? Yeah, I guess that, that would be its own genre genre of that one, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Like a disaster, uh, so mm-hmm. I, I would would Mad Max fall under that? Yep. Okay. Anything that's you know obviously after the disaster in society, the nuclear war trying, thing. Yep. Yep. Legend would be another one. Okay. Or I I am Legend. Sorry. I am Legend. All right. So space and again, this is an oversimplification. I'm sure somebody much smarter than yeah, you didn't even touch like cyberpunk or anything like that or well yeah, uh, and even then I don't know. It's really hard because I was trying to come up with some very big um, parent categories, and and I'm sure within these you oh. have all these different sub sub genres. Yeah, I don't like cyberpunk is almost very close to Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. So would cyberpunk be a sub sub genre of cerebral science and mind and identity? Probably so. Okay. What's your favorite one? If you had to pick a category, cerebral. Okay, that's mine too. I think the reason for that is the reflection on who we are, what we are, are we anything? Uh, if that one, you know, tickles the old brain muscle. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like it because think about something like inception or even blade runner in the matrix. You can do a lot in this realm And I mean, Philip K. Dick is probably my favorite author of all time. Like, I'm super excited that my son's discovered him and is and just loves him. Mm -hmm. 
but it's it's one of those that it does make you i mean thematically he's always you know are you real prove that you're real um and i like that concept but it's interesting how filmmakers will do that in a video or visual medium and how i think a lot of things come about from great storytelling from them pushing the boundaries in this area I mean, think about everything that came after Blade Runner or stuff oh. that came after The Matrix. Um, it It's pretty impressive. It, it is. It, it, you know, we got a lot of copycats and stuff, but there was also some good gems that came out after 99 and after Blade Runner. So I, you know, I don't think Philip K. Dick really invented the wheel, but I think he perfected the wheel, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's one of many players. Many, I mean, you talk about yeah, cyberpunk I mean, and stuff like that. Like, I mean, Hey, what is it to be human? I mean, people have been asking that for, you know, hundreds of years, Sure, but I think he's the guy who gets, uh, gets a lot of the credit and, and rightfully so. I think some of his short stories and novellas and all that are, are almost perfect pieces of literature. Absolutely. agree. So do you have like a runner up a second place? Um, I like a, like a post-apocalypse sort of deal. Okay. Um, so you're in the disaster and alien invasion yeah. category. And then, you know, I, I didn't think I was in this genre, but like the monster movie definitely, man, I, <laughs> I think Godzilla minus one changed my life. <laughs> that could, I've done uh, a lot of reflection <laughs> since seeing that. I'm like, maybe I do like monster movies. Uh, I love monster. I, that's probably my second place. I'm thinking about, it terror from beyond space. I mean, the, the cool thing about science fiction, especially in that genre, is all of the inventive creatures that come out. I mean, and I've I've said this before in many episodes, like one of my favorite things about the Star Wars universe, we, we can sit here and debate the quality of the original trilogy versus the prequel, all that other stuff. But I don't think you I, I think universally we would all agree the creature designs and who they hire to come up with this artwork. And the creatures in the background and stuff, it it's just so cool. Like that's that's one of my favorite things is well, yeah, the I mean, art the, of the characters in the background are almost more interesting as the the characters in the foreground. Yeah, but then you get stuff like Jurassic Park, Godzilla, um, really cool robots, um species. Spe <laughs> yes, that's that's a really cool alien. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um so the movie we're talking about tonight, what is that, Brad? Uh like what's the title? Yeah. It is Midnight Special. Well, I guess the other, that's a good question too. Which, what categories it fall into? Ooh. Is it cerebral? Yes, cerebral. Okay, cerebral science. Got it. Minded identity. Cool. Well, this one, it kind of snuck out into the open, didn't it? It, it did. And I, uh, yeah, I, I didn't hear about this, I guess, until it like came out on home video, but I, uh, same. I'm a person who, who really looks for things like this. And I don't know how I stumbled across it. I think I was just looking, I go like one of the things I do on, I used to do it on Tuesday. Cause that's when everything came out. And now right. it's like on Friday is go to iTunes and see like, what is the new, you know, genre of films? I like, what is the new stuff? And I just remember coming across this and being like, Oh, that, that looks interesting. So yeah, we'll get to that later. But, um, yeah. So do you want to get into uh, yeah, let's, the, the background here? Let's go back to uh, 2016 when this was released from uh, writer-director Jeff Nichols. How did this do in the theaters or did it 
did it really get much videos? Because I, I didn't even know about it until it hit Blu-ray, to be quite honest. Okay. Um, so released March 18th of 2016 with a reported budget of $18 million. Um, it has a total box office run of $3.7 million domestically and $3.4 million internationally. So that's good for $7.112 million. Ooh. Listen to this opening weekend. Opening weekend, it makes $190,000. So that's $190K. That's in five theaters, if we're going to be fair. Okay. But, yeah. Um, so uh, that's good enough for 30th place. Listen <laughs> <Wow>. to the <laughs> to the films that were the top five that weekend. Uh-huh. Uh, we have uh, Allegiant. That's that uh, one uh, book series. Oh, okay. Yeah, and yeah, all, yeah. That. all right. Uh, Miracles from Heaven. Uh-huh. 10 Cloverfield Lane, Deadpool, and then one more. I'll do uh, London Has Fallen. Oh, okay. That's for the action junkies. Yep, yep. Um, but I know it was a financial bomb. Critically, Midnight Special sits at an 83%. Okay. And a 67% with the audience. And the audience has over 10,000 reviews. For context, last week, Prospect only had 1,000. Now, Prospect is much newer. But this is over 10,000 reviews. Well, yeah, that's crazy. And it sits at a 66? 67. 67? Okay. Wow. Okay. Uh, I, I, honestly, yeah. I would have thought people who would seek this type of film out, they would have rated it higher. That's that, what I thought. Um, okay. I wonder if certain parts of this film people didn't like. But uh, a, a group of people who were a little lukewarm on this was Uh-oh. Movie Guide. <gasps> uh, movie Guide for those who don't know is a website, a Christian website to be more specific that reviews films, not for their quality, but for their content. And Troy, please let me know what you think movie guide. Uh, has this movie. Jeez. So there is a, there's a plot point here uh-huh. that doesn't put the religious community in the best spotlight. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to say, man, I'm going to say minus two. It is a minus one. What? So this is one of the ones that is closer to positive that we've had. Oh, all right. I'm going to start your music. You ready? Okay. Start my music. Here okay. we go. And we have a strong moral worldview with some redemptive content. Includes values such as sacrifice, family bonds, faith, and understanding one's true identity. Some allusions to main character being a Christ figure are debatable. And a spiritual world with invisible beings uh, exists above the real one, which could resemble angels. But the vague supernatural world also has elements of new age mysticism. Two obscenities in one profanity. Multiple people are shot, but not fatally. Mm-hmm. An intense car crash leaves two men battered. No sexual content, no nudity, light drinking, no smoking or drug references, and no other more immoral content minus one that's uh that that surprises me actually yeah i was i yes i i agree with that and if we go back to march of 2016 we could have seen films like zootopia which is a film i've seen no less than five thousand times because i have small children yeah you're of that age or they're of that age where you got to watch this stuff on repeat yep all the time all the time. London has fallen. The other side of the door, 10 Cloverfield Lane, 
the Brothers Grimsby, uh, Divergent Series, Allegiance, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, Semicolon, The Martha Kids, and my big fat Greek wedding, number two. Okay. Well, let's talk about the people behind the camera and in front of the camera. I, I feel like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to catch some heat for this. Um, written and directed by Jeff Nichols. So he has an interesting filmography. He usually writes the screenplay for everything that he directs. And his first film is 2007's Shotgun Stories. He then does Take Shelter. 2012 does Mud. In 2016, he has two movies that come out. The one we're talking about tonight, Midnight Special, and another one called Loving. One that was supposed to come out in December, but there was some financial trouble behind the scenes. And I think um, it got sold to another company, is uh, The Bike Riders. So now that's coming out, I think, in 2024, this year. Yeah, June of 2024, if I remember correctly. Yeah, so... With Jeff, his films are characterized by their southern United States backdrop and ambiance. He's also known for his long-standing collaboration with actor Michael Shannon, who has appeared in all of his feature films to date. So, Brad, my confession. You, do you know how many Jeff Nichols films I've seen? Outside of Midnight Special? Uh, sure, yeah. Uh, zero. Big goose egg. Midnight Special is the only one I've seen of his. How about you? Okay. I have seen, so I have seen Mud. Okay. Loving. So I've seen two other ones. I feel like I've heard so many people talk about shotgun stories specifically and even take shelter of how great it is. Mm -hmm. I know I own them, but I have not sat down to watch either of them. Uh, I, I think I, I, what's weird as collectors, we get in this, it's on sale, we buy it, and somebody told us to watch it. And mm -hmm. I blame Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema a lot for this. Uh, you listen to a podcast, you're like, wow, the movie sounds amazing. You go and buy it, but then it sits on your table. So Shotgun Stories, Take Shelter, Mud are all sitting in my two-watch pile. And they've been sitting there for years. Yeah, for for, for over years. I've seen your two-watch pile. It's more of like a, yeah, it's not a pile. It's a <laughs> section of the house. Yes. Uh, I, I Of the films that you've seen outside of Midnight Special, I'll, I'll kind of leave it to you. What do you think of him as a as a writer director? I think he's a really talented director. I, I I've got to admit, um, loving I I thought was going to be kind of kind of one of those movies that like is not hokey is not the right word, but like it's all about interracial marriage, and I thought it was going to be like you know like the movie The Help, where it's just like oh you know we've got to we've got to do this for you know kind other people preachy you know, yeah preachy in a way. Uh, Interracial marriage or loving is, is actually very well done. Um, I, I, I like it a lot. I suggest that you definitely see that in mud. I mean, mud has a really strong Matthew McConaughey, uh, performance that I, I, I really like. So I, I think he's really, really talented. I, yeah, it, he's very, to me, very underrated. Kind of like the guys we talked about last week. It's surprising that this guy doesn't have a whole lot. Uh, Mud was actually really successful. So I'm, I'm so kind of surprised he doesn't get more work, but maybe, you know, since he writes his own stuff, it, you know, that takes a lot of time to write a, write a, you know, write a story. So. Well, and I'm, I'm sure there's, there's gotta be something that interests him, right? 
Yeah, for so sure. So the bike, I'll be honest, when I saw the first trailer for the bike riders and you're talking about, you know, the Christmas or holiday season, I'm like, okay, that film I'm super excited about. And I was, I was so bummed when it got pushed into this year and you have to wait like six or seven months because I think the trailer looks fantastic. Yeah, that's got a really good ca- – I mean, obviously, Michael Shannon's in it, but, like, I think Austin Butler, if I yeah. remember, is in that, and then Tom Hardy yep, and Norman Reedus. Mm. I mean, those are names. Yeah, he's, he attracts the cast. I mean, real quick, I won't spend a lot of time, but we've got cinematography by Adam Stone, edited by Julie Monroe, and music by David Wingo. But when you talk about the people in front of the camera, I mean, my goodness, he attracts the talent big time. So – I guess we'll start with Michael Shannon. He plays the father in this film, Roy Tomlin. Uh, two Oscar nominations. Best Supporting Actor for Nocturnal Animals in 2016, the same year this came out. And uh, another Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actor for Revolutionary Road in 2008. This guy was super busy in 2016. Listen to this list, okay? Complete Unknown, Midnight Special, Midnight Special, uh, Batman versus Superman, Donna Justice. Oh, General Zod. Okay, yep. yes. He has a little cameo there, right, as a corpse. Um, Wolves, Poor Boy, Elvis and Nixon, Loving, Salt and Fire, and Nocturnal Animals. That's all in one year. Wow. Yeah. What, what's your take on on Mr. Shannon? I really like I really like Michael Shannon. I do quite too. a bit. Yep. I think he's up there at the like one of the best actors we have going um he definitely will do a movie uh he's not afraid it doesn't seem like he will he likes the paycheck no um (laughs) i think his standout performance in in knives out's really good uh he's good in bullet train i have not seen that amsterdam movie but i know he's in that as well um you know he'll do he'll do your superhero movie for you Zack snyder but uh I, i think he's he's really good um he's Got some stinkers, but for the most part, if you see Michael Shannon, you know you're at least going to get a good performance out of him. Yeah, like the, I wish he had more to do with General Zod, but he's still really good. He's got a presence. Yeah, I mean, I think we talked about this in the Flash. As a villain, he just really you he shows up, and you wish there was more of him a little bit. Mm-hmm. But he's he's just there to kind of serve as an action sequence in the third act, more or less. Have you seen uh, Iceman? The Iceman, I think, is what it is. Huh. Uh, it's based on a true story. Uh, you should check that out. I think it's really, really good. Okay. Well, he plays like a mobster. I think. Yeah. A mobster. All right. Uh huh. I'm in. You said mobster, Michael Shannon. Michael Shannon. Yeah. That's all I need. Mm-hmm. Uh, another name. Now we've talked about this individual before. Joel Edgerton plays Lucas, um, the father's sort of, I guess, best friend. They they grew up together. Yep. Uh, we talked about him way back. Listen to this. Episode eight was yeah, when we talked that, about warrior. That was, that was a long time ago. Another person who was very busy around that time period. So 2015 was a bit of a busy year for him. He did life lifted the gift black mass. Jane got a gun. Then in 2016, he does midnight special loving, uh, and follows that up with it comes at night and bright. That uh, Netflix Will Smith, oh the Mac, Max uh, Max Landis film, yeah. Mm. Uh, I I don't know. I I think we've sung a lot of praises for Joel Edgerton in the in the past. I mean, um, we we love him. I think is that yeah. Fair? I think he's one of our our our. He gets the not a bomb stamp of approval. I think um, so. I think so. 
I, it's weird. For some reason, I think he gets a bad name for some reason. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't feel like he's as well liked as he should be. He was in the thing prequel, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. We talked about him there too. He was also uncle him. Owen where he played a corpse that was catching him. That oh, was on fire. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He was great as a skeleton. I like that one. <laughs> uh, another name, Kirsten Dunst as Sarah Tomlin, the, the mother now Oscar nomination for best supporting actress, the power of the dog. Um, I think most people, I, I, I love power of the dog. Okay. I haven't watched it yet. Okay. <laughs> go figure. It's on um, the pile. It's on the pile. Spider-Man, Mary Jane Watson. I think, mm-hmm. is that where she hit it big? I would say, well, I mean, she was in, I know you're a little old for this, uh, but, uh, Giambi, um, what she was, uh, she's, she's in what, uh, what are, are, did I say it wrong? I, I don't know. <laughs> Giambi. Okay. It's the board game movie. Did I? No, I'm freaked out. I'm saying this and then people are going to be like, what are you even saying? Okay, moving on. You're not saying Jumanji, uh, are you? Jumanji. Sorry, Jumanji. Oh, my God. <laughs> sorry. I just pulled a Troy where I was like, what? I don't know. You're saying it wrong. I thought Jum- you were. Ha- I swear Jumanji. to God. I thought you were having a stroke. Okay. Go ahead. No, I'm I, I'm not. Okay. I'm not. Um, yeah, so we'll just go with Spider-Man. She hit it big during Spider-Man. I mean, she's Nothing been around before, before then. then. It just I feel yeah. like she came into the zeitgeist when Spider-Man hit, when all the talk was was her as, as Mary Jane. Yeah. I mean, I, well, yes. Interview with the vampire, too, as well. But okay. yes, yeah. Spider-Man. Spider-Man. So <laughs> the, the year this came out, she also had a, another big film, uh, Hidden Figures. She was in that one. So that was her. Oh, I like Hidden Figures a yeah, lot. Really good. Uh, Adam Driver. Pay, uh, plays Paul Sevier. Uh, now, what's interesting? I I had to go back and look at this because for in for some reason in my head, I thought this had taken place after the whole Star Wars thing. We'll get to that in a minute. But real quick on Adam Driver, Oscar nominee for Best Actor, Marriage Story in 2019. Uh, he got a nomination for Best Supporting Actor in Black Klansman from 2018. Um. What's interesting is Star Wars, The Force Awakens, Episode 7, where I think everybody, again, he hits the zeitgeist as the character Kylo Ren comes out in 2015. Midnight Special is released in 2016, but in fact, it was filmed much earlier, and and we'll talk about that. Uh, And this same year, he did Midnight Special, Patterson, and Silence. Have we talked about- Silence? Uh Uh-uh. No. I like silence. Have we talked about Adam Driver in detail? I feel like I don't think, he comes don't up every we, once in a while, but I don't think we have. Um, I'm a huge Adam Driver fan. Like oh, he's it, one of my favorites right now. I, I love him in Black Klansman. Uh, we actually saw The Dead Don't Die together. I, I really like yes. him there. Um, uh, Logan Lucky, he's awesome. I like Amazing. him as Kylo Ren. Um, yeah. The Last Duel. We did The Last Duel. He's excellent in that movie. I would say he's probably excellent in everything i have not seen the man who killed don quixote but i i would uh just because he's in it and a film i wanted to be a lot lot better like a lot lot better that's really not great it's 65 but i still thought driver was good in it yeah like that movie's not that good but i I, what's what's amazing about him is i don't really watch saturday night live that much anymore it just it doesn't really hit me Mm. in in the funny bone However, he's one of those people that when I know he's going to host because he's promoting something, 
I find him consistently funny in his skits. Like he is a very, very serious thespian when, when asked to be right. He's really good, but the man has comic timing. I mean, he can be very, very funny. Correct. Yeah. He's, he's got a earnestness to him, but then it, it, it really can, I think he leans into that and can like his uh, undercover bosses. Kylo Ren is one of the funniest skits that's ever been on. I agree that. Uh, and the latest one with the uh, baby on the airplane. Oh, the baby. Oh my God. Yep. Um, yeah. He's, he's amazing. Uh, I, I don't, I don't you hate people like that, that are that talented. Yeah. I think he's pretty like, damn good looking you. too. I love <laughs> watching him in interviews. So, you know, he gets these stupid questions like, why are you playing Italians and you're, you're not an Italian. <laughs> his response in these interviews are like, what does that have to do with anything? I mean, he's an actor, he's paid to do it, but Oh, he's in so Ferrari and yeah, he just has this very down to earth um, aspect to him. When you, when you see him do these interviews, he, he doesn't seem to take himself that seriously, which I kind of like. Yeah. I, I definitely like that about, he definitely seems like a guy that you could hang out with. Oh dude. Yeah. Cheeseburger beer. He'd be a blast, right? For sure. Um, Jade Martell plays Alton. Uh, you might know him from the uh, two film series It, the Stephen King yep. adaption. Yeah, he's he he's Bill. Bill in there. Yep. One other name I just want to throw out. Well, there. he's also uh, Jacob in Knives Out too. So there's the Knives. Oh out. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's Michael Shannon. Too. That's right. He's a little a uh, little alt right guy, little yep. kid. Yeah. Oh, he's he's a chameleon man. He's good. Uh, last name I just want to throw out: Sam Shepard as Pastor Calvin Meyer, who received an Oscar nominee for Best Supporting Actor in the Right Stuff. Um, we'll talk about his performance. I think he's in it for like a total of four or five minutes. Not that long. Uh, production and development. The film was shot in 40 days, which is crazy to me. Uh, Warner Brothers initially set the film for release on November 25th, 2015. But in July of 2015, moved the date back to March 18th, 2016. Because he wanted Final Cut, Jeff Nichols originally considered making the film with an independent film studio rather than at Warner Brothers Pictures. It wasn't until his last meeting with Warner Brothers that he informed them of this requirement. However, the producers at the company still agreed to make the film due to its relatively small budget. So that's kind of a big deal from him is to just have that artistic vision and have final Mm -hmm. cut. And then here's that little bit of um, trivia I referenced earlier. According to director Jeff Nichols, Adam Driver's first day on set to film Midnight Special was the same day he got the news he would be in the new Star Wars film, The Force Awakens, playing Kylo Ren. So this came first in terms of production before Star Wars, but Star Wars gets released first. First, yep. Yeah. There Can you, you imagine? Like he does this film, finds out he's going to be on Star Wars. Star Wars comes out before the, all the post-production on Star Wars and everything. Star Wars comes out first. That's crazy to me. He but, also says Red Saber in this movie too. And well, I, th- I think it's interesting. So this is a, I know it's, I mean, I, I know it's a Warner Brothers picture, but for all intent and purpose, I mean, it's kind of like an independent film. It, mm-hmm. It's yeah. of that size, scope, everything else. So imagine working on a movie for forty days with Jeff Nichols on. Uh, and I don't know if you saw any of the behind the scenes stuff on this. I did not. Yeah, but it, it looks like it's shot as an independent film. To go from this over to the big budget production, a two hundred million dollar film of of Lucasfilm, and and having to deal with all of that, uh, it's pretty crazy. But that's I think that's why I like Adam Driver so much, is he plays in that independent film plus the big budget, goes back and forth, and like mm-hmm. you said, I 
don't know. He's he's always good in everything. The movie could be, I guess, average, but he's always going to be amazing in it. I mean, his performance in Marriage Story is unbelievable. Yeah, he's. Uh, well, we'll talk about him in here. Um, okay, so quick break. When we come back, we're going to get into our thoughts on this film, Midnight Special. So stay tuned. Jumanji. It's intermission. Rise and stretch time. Time to refresh yourself and visit our snack bar. Got a yen for hot popcorn? Your favorite soft drinks are sparkling cold. The juicy Frank sizzling hot. There's delicious coffee freshly brewed. And all kinds of ice cream and candy to tempt you. Showtime will be announced loud and clear to get you back to your car in time. So stretch your legs. Come to the snack bar now. E.T. is the summer's best movie, says Newsweek magazine. The New York Times calls E.T. an enchanted fantasy. E.T. casts a spell from its opening moments to its exhilarating finale, says the New York Daily News. And Gene Shallot of NBC TV says E.T. is a movie to be seen again and again. Steven Spielberg's E.T., The Extraterrestrial, rated PG, parental guidance suggested. We're back. You know what, Brad? Usually I kick it over to you or a guest. I think I'm going to go first. You go first. Okay. It's it's weird. I, I feel weird doing this, but um, I'm so glad you picked this film. One, it's going to make me go watch Jeff's other films that I've been sitting on for years. Maybe uh, carve down that to-watch pile a little bit. But um, secondly, I I like that we did this one in prospect almost back to back. It's almost like we kind of planned that Troy. But we didn't. I threw prospect out there and you're like, ooh, I want to do this one. So the stars aligned and um you know, let's face it, science fiction films, I don't know how you feel about this. One of the things that um I, I find kind of problematic in this genre is the need to explain everything. Mm-hmm. Take the Matrix, Matrix, groundbreaking, etc. But it still needs an entire set of scenes to explain what the Matrix is and the rules and everything else. Now they do it in a very cool way with kung fu, but you you still get that right. I mean, it, 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 isn't that it's kind a, of a problem with some science fiction science fiction it, films? It, some some science like take Exception, Inception, and the Matrix. Very complicated setups like you can't sit down and not explain anything about the matrix and expect someone to follow the film now christopher nolan loves to have that expository scene so you know inception definitely might go overboard a little bit but the matrix is so complicated and and there's they get way into it more in the sequels but that first one is laying the groundwork uh but it is very complicated and it needs that uh 
So sometimes having a smaller scope really helps your your sci-fi film. It does. Or, I mean, you can make the case what makes Star Wars A New Hope so interesting is when they talk about the Force, it is very mystical. So they do have an, an expository scene saying, well, this is what the Force and this is what it can do. Versus when you get into the prequels, then it's about, well, you got a midichlorian and your blood count and all this other stuff. And we've got to take a test. Now it becomes kind of boring, right? And yep. you're just kind of spoon feeding the audience and, and trying to get the reasons. So the, the reason why I like this one back to back to prospect is it's another example of solid filmmaking that trusts the audience. Mm-hmm. And Jeff Nichols is assume- well, also trust your story. The director trusting his story as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good point. Um, and I think Nichols is assuming that the viewer is going to put all of the pieces together, and he doesn't necessarily spell things out. And I really, I, I forgot how much I loved the first act of this film, and specifically how it opens. So you you have two men who may have kidnapped an eight year old boy who's sitting on the floor, like under a blanket with uh, these weird goggles on, like swimming goggles, Mm -hmm. and um, these, I don't know, noise cancellation headphones or something. And then... Yeah, kids have those a lot now. Like, we took our our kids to, uh, uh, like, a monster truck rally, Mm -hmm. and that was one of the ones you could buy those, and they, because, you know, those monster trucks are super loud. Yeah, it's it's over-the-ear stuff. It's not... okay. And then it, it cuts to uh, you have a religious leader who is watching the news and about the kidnapping and sort of establishes this, we have four days to get this kid back, but you don't know why. And then not too much later, um, they're off driving, leaving the motel, turning out the headlights and uh, trying to avoid all the cops. You get the, the credits, Midnight Special. Next thing you know, the FBI is raiding this religious compound and then what happens is our, our two men and the boy almost get into a car accident, but they cause one. And then the next thing you know, the Joel Edgerton character ends up shooting a state trooper. So that's all you get in about the first, what, 15 minutes of the film, approximately? Yeah, I, yeah and I feel like it's more, it's, there's a lot of quiet moments. There's not a ton of dialogue. You're just kind of going through, I don't want to say going through the paces, but the film is just kind of chugging along here. And you're like, what is going on? I, I had a lot of questions the first time I watched it and it's just kind of going. Yeah. You don't, I mean, these two guys who have the kid, you're like, wait, are we following them? They're kidnappers. Is this the protagonist, the antagonist? What, what's going on here? And, um, you know, Nichols is basically saying, okay, you got to put it all together based on the information that I'm going to give you throughout the film. And he, he spells it out every once in a while with these sort of uh, news clips that play in the background every once in a while, yep. but not too much, right? There's always some mystery. And what I like about it is, and I felt the same way with Prospect, it allows the actors to sort of provide this realistic response to the events in the film rather than just explain the plot, which you know, some science fiction films will fall into that trap. And this becomes that thrilling cerebral science fiction subgenre that we talked about. It's part ET mixed with close encounters of the third kind, but with an edge. So it's e- very Spielberg inspired for sure. Yeah, it is. But I feel like where Spielberg 
kind of dips his toes into the darker stuff. Um, so think about close encounters of the third kind. I mean, there's a family breaking down, right? Mm -hmm. And you've got those scenes. I feel like Nichols watched E.T. or watched these dramatic moments in Close Encounters and said, I want to concentrate on those moments more than the spectacle and created something out yeah, of... Yeah, he wants the more human moments and not not the spectacle. Yeah, for sure. With, yeah. a, with a lot more edge. Well, yeah, he, he wants to make you paranoid, but he also wants to dazzle you a little bit with the world concept. Um, and I, I really, really love this film. Um, and I, I think it makes a great double bill with something like Prospect. If you, as a science fiction movie lover, are like, man, I want, I want to watch two things that are uh, entirely different, but yet I think structurally trust the viewer and you have to be engaged. This is a movie that I feel like if you, I don't know, if you take a nap or like you close your eyes too long, you know how sometimes you're watching something late at night and you're like, oh, 10 minute nap right there. Mm -hmm. I, I think it would be hard um, to get caught up. So think about some scenes that if you slept through and next thing you know, they're talking about something. You're like, well, where did that happen or <laughs> what's going on? Yeah. But that's what I like about it more than anything. No, you're, you're, you're right. Uh, because you're only getting moments where they're feeding you information about what is going on. And, uh, you miss some of those. You're like, Oh, like now I have to go back and rewatch the last 15 minutes while I was asleep. Yeah, hundred percent. And I, I don't know. I, I think this is a great, this is a great example. If you get a really strong screenwriter, you get a great director and he trusts his actors. And as a result of that, you get some amazing performances. I mean, oh, um, all the performances are top notch yeah, like, again. Like even like last week we talked about prospect and it was like, well, this story is really good. It's just elevated by the, the performances by everybody. Here yeah. we go again. Really solid story, really solid screenplay. The performances bring it to a whole nother level. Yeah, I, we've talked about this in the past too, about you know, there's more to acting than just tone and body language, but sometimes it's the, you know, that whole can you act with your eyes or a look mm -hmm. or something of that nature. Yeah. Can you be like Michael Shannon? Can, can you, you be, be like, like Michael, Michael Shannon? Shannon? Yeah. yeah. Can you take like a paragraph of dialogue and convey it with just a look? I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about that sequence where they they lose um, Alton and he starts walking up to the edge of that highway as the semi goes by and you're like, oh my gosh, is, is he's he gonna suicidal? Walk into yeah. Um, and, but then he the way he turns and looks when the phone's ringing and stuff like that, you don't need any dialogue. You just need Michael Shannon's face on screen and you know exactly what's going on in this guy's head. I'm not sure an actor can emote pain like Michael Shannon can. I agree. 1000%. Like I, I, I almost feel like he wrote this character uh, or he sat down and Nichols was like, Hey, well, I like gotta write him this and father. Jeff Nichols, they definitely work a lot together. So I'm sure they worked on Roy and Shannon probably had a lot of input on the creation of Roy and how he would act in certain situations for sure. Yeah, that makes sense. And then, you know, reason number 514 to love Joel Edgerton. Um, it's it's kind of interesting. And I noticed it. I think I noticed it more on the second viewing. When the state trooper shooting happens, he is so visibly upset. And you don't know why. 
Um, and then you learn later why. Yeah, you learn. And, and I love that little quiet twist. But with something like that, I think any other actor would have oversold it. But Edgerton brings this guilt to that incident that, again, you're like, oh, yeah, that, that guy's like freaking amazing. <laughs> I mean, um, he's so good. Lucas is such a, like a mysterious character. You get these little tidbits of information on him. And I, I kind of got the impression that he might not believe everything that is going on initially, but he is still because of what he did earlier, because he's a, he ends up telling everyone that he's a cop as well. He's just kind of there to protect and protect the kid. And along the way, he sees things that definitely change his mind. Um, well, he has that moment it, when he talks about looking in Alton's eyes, like mm-hmm. this is the other, yep. this is the other thing this, it could be really cheap or whatever. I mean, I, I don't know what happens to these characters when they go through that moment with this kid. They never explain it. No. And what's cool is um, Joel gets this moment where he says, and then when you look in his eyes and there's there's a beat or a pause, and I think, again, most screenwriters, um, actors, whatever, they might get into this just very new age, otherworldly, like I experienced this, I saw my past lives, whatever. But if you go through that kind of experience and you can't articulate it, then it's all about how do you how do you emote those feelings and come across like, man, I can't I can't say it, but you sell it as authentic as possible. And again, it's another sequence where Nichols is like, look, you got to put the pieces together. Um, yeah. the, these people in a real world probably wouldn't be able to articulate that experience, and so they're not <laughs> going to. And I love that. I love that about this film. I yeah, I I, I agree with everything that you have said. Like the way they are able to do world building in here without laying everything out on the table again, like last week with prospect, it's just how you're supposed to do it with these smaller stories that you don't have to have someone turn to the camera and say like, well, Alton can do this and here's his powers. (laughs) And, uh, all these things, uh, it, it, it really helps the, there's always, there's always a mystery with this film up until the very end. And even when you see the end, it could create even more mystery. Um, but there's definitely a lot going on that it probably warrants like a, a second watch. Um, I, I, I definitely like this film more the second time I saw it, as opposed to the first time I saw it. Oh, really? Yeah. I, oh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I loved it the first time, yeah. but the second time you pick up on a few other things, you're like, oh, okay. That's true. I, I would, I'd probably phrase it this way in terms of my viewing experience. Like the first time I saw it, I was really working hard to put the pieces together. And like you said, I walk away with probably a lot more questions. Like you want to sit down and go, what does this mean? And what happened to these people, et cetera. When you watch it the second time and you kind of know what's going to happen, it gives you more of an appreciation to kind of look at the artistry that's going on, especially in front of the camera um, with these performances. I think your first viewing, Nichols has you hooked and um, you're working for those answers and you're watching mm-hmm. the film and your brain's firing at all, all you know the cylinders. And then when you watch it the second time and you know what's going to happen, you you get 
to really watch these people um, take these characters and bring it to life. I mean, Sam Shepard's in it for four minutes, but oh, goodness, his performances. He's, yeah, he's he's amazing because again, he has this. I don't want to call it, it quiet menace. Does that make sense? Like he's oh, threatening, yes. Yes. but he's not overbearing. He's very congenial, and he's not firing brimstone. But you feel like this man's dangerous. Uh, uh, yeah, one hundred percent. One hundred percent, you're correct. Yeah, and and Kirsten Dunst. I mean, up to this point, no, I will say the one criticism I have is when she comes on on the screen, you're like, oh, well, that's the mother. That's the mother. Like, <laughs> don't don't even like. Why don't? Why are we having that be a mystery? Like, obviously, she's the mother. Well, I, I think the mystery is like up until that point, you have this uh, idea of the mother abandoning the family and just being a total, you know, piece of crap, and then all of a sudden, you 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 find out what's going on and you have this bond between these two guys and this kid. And so you're like, okay, so now the mother comes into the mix. What is she going to add? Well, now there's this whole different <laughs> layer of um, character relationship. And then she's dealing with her guilt of the choices that she made and leaving all this with, with basically the father, which I, mm -hmm. I think she's good in it too. And then Jane yeah. Martell. I mean, I, I really, what surprises me about this kid actor, he shows this maturity in the second half of the film or kind of in the third act. You just don't expect from, from him. Um, yeah. From like kid actors in general. Yeah. Uh, and I, I love the tension throughout the entire film. Um, even, even on my second viewing, man, I'm telling you that motel to uh road block the sequence, car chase. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you just don't know how it's going to end. You don't know what's going on. It's super tense. Super tense. The they ratchet up in the third act where you know this is kind of like a road movie and we're we're going along and then it gets to the third act and it kicks your ass. Yeah, let I, let's talk about third act. So if I have one criticism, and I don't even know if this is a criticism, but here's what I'm trying to wrap my brain. Maybe, maybe you can help me. So I think the first two acts are so strong like super strong. But if you've seen close encounters of the third kind, um, then, and then you watch this film, you kind of go, Oh, I know how this is going to wrap up to a certain degree. It, it's kind of my same criticism I have of, um, Nope. <laughs> Cause I know everybody loves Nope. And I'm like, it's okay, but it's jaws. And especially the third act, it's, it's just jaws. Which isn't a bad thing if you yeah. if you add something to it, but um, I do like how this wraps up where people go to jail, somebody has to disappear, like there's real world consequences, and it's a solid ending, um, but it almost feels a little bit down the middle of the road. Like I either wanted something a bit more melancholy, and that's weird considering what happens to some of these people in here. Yeah. Um, or a definitive closure. And it doesn't give you either. It gives you a little bit of melancholy, but it's not too dark. Um, it gives you some closure, but doesn't, you know, he just goes off into the thing. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, you, you got to this big chase. Here's the reveal. You see some spirits. He's gone. Here's what happens in the aftermath. I like Joel Edgerton's <laughs> interview in the prison. Um, and well, then there's the part with Michael Shannon that we'll have to get to a little bit later. Okay. Well, okay. Th those are my thoughts on it. Like I, okay. I, I love this film. I think it's amazing. 
And even the third act, I don't know if it's criticism or I'm, I'm, I'm comparing it too much to a Spielberg film and I shouldn't, and I should just yeah. go, you know, th- this is what I it think is. Obviously ET close encounters of the third kind were huge influences on this. So to, to compare it to those is not ridiculous. Okay. Okay. Well, what, what, where do you, where do you land on this one? I, I, I agree with you. I, I really have a lot of enjoyment watching this as a person who, who likes sci-fi this kind of hits all hits all the spots. Um, there is a scene in this that I think might be one of my favorite scenes in any sci-fi film and probably in film in general. Really? It's when uh, he's in the room and he's sitting in the chair, Alton. Is it the, is it the says, white room in the government? Yeah, the white room. Okay. And it's like, I want to talk to, you know, Sevigny. And he's like, by myself. And then they, everyone leaves. And then he kind of changes the screen and he walks out there. Like, I absolutely love that. Cause again, we're getting all these things with like what he can do and like, he can manipulate maybe like electricity and frequencies and detect, um, certain, uh, things. Cause he brings down the satellite cause they're spying on him and all these things. Uh, and, and, and they don't really ever, say here's his definitive powers and there is a a call to like comic books in this movie throughout um oh the superman the car- specifically the superman thing yeah yeah well the superman like he gets power from the sun he's also reading a comic and then there's a i don't know if it's directly like a cyclops reference but like when he's you know takes off his visor yeah. like the light comes out like cyclops um so I, I, I like, I like that. Um, you know, they talk about ley lines in this movie or do you understand what ley lines are? Honestly, I don't think I do. <laughs> like, so there's a part where they're in the house and, and Joel Edgerton says something about ley lines, which That's is like the map, right. That they were yeah, going over And in, mm-hmm. if I get it cr- incorrect, I, I don't really, but they like argue that like, there's like lines of alignments and like ancient civilizations would build things along those lines as like natural sort of thing. Cause like the earth energies and stuff, it's, it's kind of weird, but it's, you know, it's a pseudoscience thing that like, it's all this ancient civilization stuff, but you know, it, they, they kind of call back to that. So, I mean, there's so much callback to like supernatural and like comic books and, and all this stuff. And I just think, Again, it's really good storytelling. It's trusting your screenplay. It's trusting the audience. It's not holding your hand. It's just saying, look, this kid's got powers yeah, and he can do a lot of stuff, but we're not going to tell you what he can and can't do. Um, Michael Shannon, unbelievable. Joe Edgerton, um, everyone from top to bottom is so good in this film. Um, you know, I, I do liken it to like a Steven Spielberg film, but it's like, got a lot of balls to it. It's uh, it's just an edgier. I, I don't know if Spielberg was making ET and close encounters and just having the sense of wonder and everything else. I, I 100% think that Nichols comes along and goes, I love those films. I wish you had spent a little bit more time in these areas. They're a little bit more darker. They're a little bit more interesting mm-hmm. and adult. Um, and I, I feel like this is if, if Spielberg were going to remake one of those into an adult version, um, that that had a little bit heftier themes. This is exactly what he would. This make. is yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, I I like. There's some really cool when the thing at the end happens and they show Earth and they show the big explosion. Like 
for $17 million, there's a lot kind of going on I here. Was, I was just going to ask you that, like from a production budget standpoint, it that wasn't even the sequence that just impressed the heck out of me. I was thinking of the satellite at the gas station, which you don't Ooh, know yes. it's a satellite. But it, it starts with an image in the sky, and then things just start falling and taking out cars, pieces of the building, et cetera. Uh, and, and you think it's meteorites or something of that nature. Yeah. And the production value and just how thrilling it is. But I'm looking at that, and I'm like, my goodness, they did this on such a small scale, but it rivals a lot of even disaster films that have these $100, 200000000 million budgets. Yeah, I, I, you know that part is super tense. And you yeah. think about, I don't know. I was thinking about like Roland Emmerich films, uh, just because, you know, he likes to blow everything up and like, uh, you know, 2112 or not 2112. That's a rush album. 2012. Uh, when, you know, everything is happening and the ground is breaking up well, and we all talked this about stuff. moonfall, which yeah, mo- yeah, like zero tension, like zero tension in that because it's just, it's so over the top and so fake looking, but here you're seeing this thing fall out of the sky and it really has an impact and it you really believe these characters are in peril because it looks good and you're if there's a mystery element to it and yeah you come to soon find out it's a satellite but at the time you're like I don't know what this is and the speed and, and impact that the objects have as they're hitting the ground really gives you some some heft and you know, it, it it just makes you believe it so much more than the moon, you know, crashing into the atmosphere of Earth. It it just has zero impact because you're like, this looks ridiculous. Yeah. Um, no, I agree with you 100 percent man. It's yeah. it's crazy. So yeah, I I just I just want to like be with these characters. You know, it starts off as like a you think like a kidnap movie and then goes into like a road movie, then turns into like a chase movie, then turns into like a weird, you know, close encounters of a third kind movie. And then at the very end, you get this mystery part. You're like, well, what are they trying to say here? Um, well, so the- I was going to ask you, <laughs> what the hell is this movie trying to say? Cause what I, here's what I find interesting. Like when you told me movie guide had a negative one, I'm like, Oh really? So here's a movie that it, it feels like it's going around and it's touching these little, bits of things that have gone on in the world. So when you, when you start the movie with child abduction, then you, I mean, anytime you see a complex like this with religious people and they start talking about guns, you go, Ooh, Waco, Texas. Waco. Yep. Yeah. So then you get this, um, just religious fervor subplot of chasing the kid down when they're interviewing everybody and everybody thinks, well, if we don't have this kid in like three or four days, then we're, we're not going to heaven more or less. Yep. Um, then you, I know heaven's gate really wasn't about kids or whatever, but they definitely had like a, a, a deadline to something that they needed to do. Very cultish. Yeah. Yeah. Thing going on. Then you get the NSA, you get the alien aspect mm-hmm. uh, aspect to it, which is Adam drivers going, you know, from that angle. Right. Mm-hmm. And he specifically says NSA. I was like, Oh, Wow, he definitely says NSA. Oh, yeah, yeah, Uh, And and you get the whole government conspiracy thing now, right? So, uh, and where it ends up and goes is just, okay, well, now you've got Earth, then you have another dimension, and what lives in this dimension has been watching over us. And so then you go, well, are, are we talking about heaven? 
Like, yeah, we're talking about angels. <laughs> yeah, because um, they're like basically light, light, or are they are they the next evolution of human beings? Yeah, and so it, the premise is that a couple has a child that is gifted with all these superpowers or just things that he can do because he's attuned to this other plane. So you're like, well, how did that happen? And then why is he going back there? Why can't the parents go? Obviously they're just built different. I'm sure all this other stuff, but then you get that last sequence of Michael Shannon standing out there, um, kind of basking in the sun. Is, is this, does this have a, I mean, man, I'm stumbling all over myself. Is there a lot of religious connotations in here with sort of Elton being sort of Jesus like and yes. Yeah. Like at first you, like, like I was I wondering, is, like, is this say, an though. immaculate conception sort of deal with, yeah. but like Roy, cause Roy, his eyes glow at the end. Like, it's not like a huge glow, but they definitely glow at the end. It feels so like, like, like we're they? having that debate of the end of the thing of who has what in their eye yeah. tells you who the thing is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is Deckard a, a replicant or not? Yeah. Uh, but if there's definitely something going on and like, like maybe he was one of those or like it, or he just had the ability to be one, but I was getting like very strong, obviously like the kid is, is very Christ-like and, um, but I was getting very strong, like immaculate conception vibes as the film was going. And then they turn that and you're like, Michael Shannon has the eyes. So maybe it wasn't, um, but you know, I think obviously this film really gets on fatherhood and parenthood. Like that's a very strong uh, uh, theme of the of this film. Like trying to you know protect your son and protect your kids and 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 understanding them uh, as unique, strong human beings as they are. But yeah, it's a it's a lot at the end and. I have seen this two times and I'm like, I still don't know. I, I don't know what they're trying to say at the end with, with Roy. Yeah. It's, and I guess, I guess that's why I'm always struggling and I can't really articulate it correctly is that the the third act is where I struggle a little bit because when all, everything is said and done, it's like, okay, was this a road adventure movie that touches on all these interesting topics, but does it really go anywhere with it outside of from a story perspective? It's uh, parents protecting their very special son to get them to this other plane, right? Yeah. But I feel like there's more going on here. I just haven't tapped into it. Like well, there, there should be some theme. There, there should be some question. Like going back to Philip K. Dick, there's always some central question. And usually from the thematic perspective is – can can you trust your reality? Do you know who you are kind of thing? Yeah. Um, Total Recall has this fantastic <laughs> ending, since we're talking about Phil K. Dick, where it's like, okay, the way they end that film, was he just in that recall machine the whole time? Um, is, is he brain dead and he's just living this thing? Or did it all actually happen? There's, there's certainty in knowing that there are four or five different answers. There's... I, f- I feel like there's not any certainty here outside of the kid went into this other dimension. Would he have destroyed faith at that point in time? I don't know. Like what, what, ha- what would happen if he didn't go? Well, circle back. Okay. So if this kid was real yeah, and all of a sudden this happened, people would no longer 
have faith, they would have proof. Faith okay. is built on not knowing for sure. But now this thing has happened and maybe those are angels. And now we have proof that these angels are real and these people have seen them. So at that point in time, faith is irrelevant because we have proof that angels are real. But even Joel Edgerton in that interview is like, I don't know. You saw what I saw. I don't know what's going on. But is he just saying that? I don't know. I mean, Adam, (laughs) again, Adam driver shows up and is going to interview him. And you see this very tense moment between them. And then the scene ends. Yeah. So, but I didn't take that as like, like a tense moment. I took that as like, we know what we saw. Like, well, Adam drivers wasn't there, but like, he knows what happened. And like, we know what we saw. Like, I, I believe you because I understand this kid and I understand his powers. I've seen it. Yeah. (laughs) It's weird. I, I think you get to a point with this kind of film. So, so the problem with watching a bunch of movies and watching a bunch of historical films is you will watch something like 2001 a space odyssey. You watch something like uh, close encounters of the third kind and you get two very different endings. I mean, think about when 2001 came out, everybody's like, why is there a floating fetus there space, <laughs> space baby? baby, you know, whatever. <laughs> what, what, what did the black monolith, but there's so many mysteries to unpack and, uh, they, you still, will debate the meanings of that film because it's very interpretive mm-hmm. close encounters of third kinds guy has an alien invasion has, you know, breakdown with his family goes to visit the aliens and he's, he's taken up, right. There's, there's some type of closure there, but it's treated as wonderment, right. And the bridge between those, this one, it, it feels like it either needs to put its foot either more into the 2001 category and be a bit more mystical um, outside of just here's a silver city with floating angel things, or it needs to have more definitive closure, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I could see that. I was also thinking while we were talking was were Michael Shannon's eyes really glowing or was that reflection of something glowing in the sky that he just happened to be looking at? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's an interesting last shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause, cause he's it, got like probes on his head. So like, were they, I thought, doing... I didn't think it was probes. I thought it was cuts from the, um, no, they were probes. They were probes. I think so. Yeah. I'm, I'm about 95% sure they were like probes. I thought he had a bunch of bandages and stuff from the car accident. I don't think so. I, now I need to go back and watch that. Yeah, now you have to go back and watch. Okay. But I mean, does that make sense? Like I, I think yeah, that third kind of waffles a little bit. Yeah. It's, it's almost like if you're judging, I don't know the Olympics and they stick that landing and you're like, well, it's not a 10. It's probably like a 9.2. Cause they, they wobble just a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah. I still think it's a satisfying conclusion. Wow, Troy's the French, uh, the French judge in uh, all the Olympics. Oh, I am. It's nine, nine <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't know. I just, I, I'm not saying it's a bad ending. I just feel like it could have been more, but well, it's probably unfair because I'm sitting here comparing it to these iconic films. Yeah. I don't I feel like it would have been out of place if all of a sudden they're like, and here's what happened. No. And I, I don't, I don't think Nichols Nichols didn't do that for the entire film. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe at the end of the day, it's like, well, that's exactly how the film had to end. And you as a viewer have to go back and piece it all together. Probably so. Yeah. 
yeah, and you, you know what you bring to it from an interpretation standpoint, that's probably what happened to it. But you know, that's all up to you, more or less. And and I like that. I like it letting the audience kind of decide what they think. I don't need a definitive answer. I, maybe. <sighs> Maybe sometimes it'd be nice, but maybe, maybe I'm just wanting a little bit more mystery. Just one little gut punch, you know, of like, Oh my God, what was that kind of thing? I don't know. Yeah. You're not wrong. Um, but Hey, look, this is nitpicking over. I, I feel like I'm nitpicking over something that's just, you know, just honestly a fantastic science fiction film, Mm -hmm. but that's yeah. Okay. So I guess time for the question, right? Sure. All right. Second science fiction film of the year. Is it a bomb? Not at all. I agree. Not a bomb. 1000%. 1000%. Cool. Hey, we have a little bit of listener feedback. Oh boy. Here we go. So this is from Mia, uh, actually the daughter of one of our listeners. So she wrote, uh, Ooh. yeah, she wrote us, um, hi, not a bomb. I watched prospect today with my father. Her father's Kevin, by the way. And I really liked the way it was presented and shot the sounds, props, costumes, really cool. I was not a huge fan of the lack of info because it was harder for me to understand, such as the booming music played by the other girl. My favorite character was Ezra because I liked the tone and jokes made. The force was really pretty and suspenseful. 7.5 out of 10 overall. That's wow. from Mia. Okay. Uh, I, Mia's a tough critic. Well, but I, I like this, man. I mean, Oh, yeah. I love, uh, I'm sure you're, you've already had some of these moments, but there's this, there's this phase of movie watching as a parent. One, you're, you're watching films in there. What was the film that you said you saw like 27,000 times? Zootopia. Zootopia. Okay. So it's entertaining. You're You're watching it with them, but at some point you're like, oh my gosh, uh, <laughs> this is, is getting on your nerves, but then you start to introduce them into things and then you see, you get to kind of relive that experience through them. Right. Yep. Okay. Then there's this, this other phase that comes along where they start to discover things on their own. You're not there yet. Um, and then they bring them back to you and they always start with this question of, Hey, have you seen this film? And uh, you're like, oh, yeah, I, I didn't know you'd be interested in that. And they may say, oh, I didn't like it or like it. And you start having this conversation about the costumes, the props, the what did you think about the themes, et cetera. But, I mean, that is like one of the coolest things about having a kid is going through that whole um, phase with them, especially when you're introducing them to things that you like and you, you either they either make fun of you or they go, oh, yeah, that was really cool. Um, but I, I'm – I'm in that phase right now with my kids where they're coming to me going, Hey, I just found this film. Um, can we go, do, do you know anything else that this person has done? And then we start watching that and then we sit down and talk about it for like 20 minutes afterwards. Ooh. Yeah. I I mean, Max just came up to me a while ago and was like, Hey, can we watch star Wars? And I was like, I've never been more proud of my life. <laughs> Cause of course we can. Do you remember the first time that you watched star Wars with him? Oh yeah. Yeah. Did you watch him more than you watched the film? Um, yeah, I did. And to be fair, you know, it was, he was like four and a half, maybe five. Um, but the last time we watched it, he was definitely way into it. And I watched him just loving every second of it. And it was like, Oh man, this is great. Yeah. I'll I'll share a funny story. So, uh, cam is in that very, uh, what's transgressive cinema, um, kind of thing. And (laughs) 
There, there are some films. Uncle Sammy, Uncle Sammy's influencing him. I think, I think he is. Uh, but there, there are some titles we'll talk about, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna go watch that." I'm like, "You know, you should. I'm not gonna watch that one with you." And the other, the other night, he's like, "Hey, Saltburns on Amazon Prime. Do you want to watch that?" And I'm like, "Well, I've heard some things about it. I, I do want to see it. Are, are, are you cool with watching it with me?" He's like, "Well, yeah, whatever." Have you seen Saltburn yet? I have. Yep. Okay. So, you know, there's a couple of sequences you come across and then you're sitting there watching it with like your 18 year old son. doesn't matter if they're an adult or not. And you're going, oh, I got to make a joke to relieve the tension it's here because it's just little, awkward. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that was the uh, that was the latest viewing experience. We were both looking at each other and I said, are you as just like grossed out watching this with me as I am. He's like, yeah, th- this is a little weird. I'm like, okay, cool, cool. So, <laughs> but Saltburn's a really good film. It's just, uh, it's man, got some moments. It's got some moments. I, I really want to show him a racer head. That's one he hasn't seen. And Oof. I, I want to, I want to see what both the kids would think of that one. I think they're ready for it, but we'll see. Uh, Brad, if anybody else wants to send us some feedback or, um, Hey, we would love to hear what is your favorite subgenre of science fiction and some of your favorite examples from that. But how do they send that feedback to us? Yeah, I know we have a lot of Trek guys out there that listen to our show, so I'm curious to hear what they say. Um, that's notabombpod at gmail.com. Or you can head over to notabombpodcast.com, hit the contact us button, or hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Yes, we we love all the interaction. We love reading this stuff and hearing your guys' thoughts on the movies we talk about uh, or even topics you want us to discuss. Brad, uh, we're not doing science fiction next week. I'm sorry. Oh, bummer. Yeah. So I am going to, well, just a little little behind the curtains. Next week, we should have been talking about the new Clue 4K release. We're going to get to that. Mm -hmm. But there was a film I saw over the holidays and um, again, it'd been sitting in the two watch pile for a little bit. And I just happened to be in a conversation and I mentioned, yeah, I might, I might get to this one rather soon. And somebody said, oh, you need to watch that like now. It's probably uh, one of the best things that's come out in the last decade or so from Hong Kong. And I'm like, really? So I did watch it and uh, I immediately started texting you guys, um, our little circle, yep. and said, we need to talk about this like now. So we're going to talk about a film shot uh, in color but converted to black and white, and it is a police procedural thriller called Limbo. So have you? What's have, the release date on that? Do you know? Oh my goodness! Um, I was not prepared. Twenty twenty one. I think it's only a few years old. I want to say twenty 2020 twenty or twenty twenty one. It just got a twenty twenty one. It just got a four K release. Not two or three months ago that you can pick up. It's a little pricey, but uh, maybe you listen to our review and it might sway you. If you're, if you're a physical collector or something, you might, you might want to grab it, but have you, have you heard of this film? Uh, just because I'm friends with you, I've heard about it. Okay. So you know nothing about it going into it. Zero. Okay. It's black and white. And you said it gives off vibes of blade runner. Blade runner meets seven. Okay. Yeah. That's all I need to know. Yeah, so if you if those two had a baby, you would probably get limbo. And I'm I'm really curious what your thought is on this. Um maybe we'll have a guess, maybe not. I don't know. I've really enjoyed I 
putting the guest stuff together is is a lot of fun, but it's also taxing <laughs> on our schedules. Yeah. Um, we've had a lot of fun just doing this, so we'll we'll see what we uh, we'll see what we put together. But yeah, I, I I'm really curious to hear what your thoughts on that one are. I'm I'm super excited to see it. You've yeah yeah I'm gonna watch it again. I just watched it a few weeks ago. I'm I'm dying to watch it again. I'm dying to show <laughs> it to my family. Uh, what else? What other podcasts and everything should they be listening to? Yeah, Friends of the Pod, that's Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, Watch Skip Plus, The VHS Files, Night of the Living Podcast, Backlook Cinema, The Mixtape Podcast, and Raiders of the Podcast. Um, are we are we missing Sophia's again? Oh yeah, and Movie Struck. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Movie go over to Struck. YouTube and uh, check out John's channel. And now for something a little bit different. Brad, we should probably announce too, because we're putting stuff together. Um for comic-con in baltimore this year right oh yes in september troy and i are going to be at comic-con in baltimore yes so if you're in the area maybe you should put that on your calendar too so go to the website they haven't started selling tickets yet i think our plan is to be there all three days right uh at least friday and saturday for sure oh yes friday saturday for sure and then um i'm hoping to to at least show brad things like the afi the senator like all the cool stuff on the east coast please yeah, so we're telling you in advance, and if you're like, we didn't know you guys were going to be at Comic-Con, well, now you know. We're telling you like yep. nine months in advance. What else? We miss anything else? Uh, Jumanji. Jumanji, yes, the movie. Um, there's there's a couple of those movies now, right? Yeah, there's like three. Okay, cool. Well, I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon, or evening. I We are really thankful you downloaded the episode. Come back next week. We're, we're not going to do science fiction, but we are going to do something um, a little crazy, a little creepy, and uh, certainly going to have a lot of thrills. So come back next week for Limbo. Don't lose your head. 